0: that I set the record straight after all of that. But that would take all of the time I've been allotted, so I won't. This is a bit of a challenge to be with you, given the fact that I'm running on limited sleep. Last evening was an elders' meeting, and... uh, I had the unfortunate opportunity to be the acting secretary, which meant there was no uh, mid-discussion nap time available for me. I had to stay tuned to what was going on. Is that me or the sound? Am I? Are you hearing me do what I'm doing? Okay. Um, so I couldn't sleep through that. You know, rolled home about midnight, and then you're faced with that incredibly um, innocent question from your wife that says, "How was it?" <laughs> And you really hate to get the, the uh, agenda out to go through blow by blow why you come home so excited. But then got to get to sleep, but Jeff had invited me to come up for breakfast this morning. He said if I could get here about 6 o'clock, that would have given him about an hour in his office before we went. So, so I was rolling early and uh, going from that uh, suburban area of Orange County where I live to here takes you through a morass of humanity and then you get off at Placerita Canyon Road. And I started up that road and I literally had to pull over and stop because you begin to see things that you don't see at home. I hadn't gotten more than a quarter mile off of the freeway when I looked over, you know at my house, if if you if you want to hit anything, it's joggers. That's all we've got around my place. But I pulled over when I saw this fella out walking his pig. I, I was fumbling around to see if I brought my camera like I normally do. I like to record the uh, special uh, opportunities that I get confronted with because my kids like, you know, they say, gee, dad, what did you do today? And I like to have something to tell them. And, and I, the, the more I looked at this guy, the more phenomenal it became because I'd never seen a pig with a wooden leg before. Has anybody seen this guy down the road? I rolled my window down. I said, mister, what's the story? I said, "I, you know, I... Not only have I never seen a guy walking a pig, I've never seen a pig with a wooden leg. He said, you've never seen a unique pig like this. I said, well, I suppose that's true, but why is he so unique? What happened anyway? He said, well, we've had this pig for a while. He said, we live out here in these hills, and it's really kind of remote and lonely. He said, it was a couple of years ago that our house caught on fire. I was gone on a trip, and he said, the pig smelled the smoke, broke the front door down, ran upstairs, and got all my kids up and out of the house, and they were saved because of this pig. And I said, "Well, that's pretty incredible. I, you know, Arnold, what's his name?" And uh, And he said, "That's not all." He said, "You know, we have a pool out behind the house." And he said, "My wife was out there with my little daughter. She's two years old." And he said she, uh, the phone rang. She ran in to get the phone, and she said, he said, "My little daughter slipped out of her swim ring, and there she was going down for the third time. The pig heard her thrashing around, jumped the fence, got her out of the pool, gave her snout to mouth, and got her back got her back going again. He said, This is this pig is so special you can't believe it. And I said, Well, that's all well and good, but how did the pig come by the wooden leg? He said, Buddy, if you had a pig this special, you wouldn't eat it all at one time either. And Yeah. How many of you had never heard that story before? Integrity demands that I tell you that that did not happen to me on the way to the school this morning. Boy, this is a binding. They gave me three choices on what to talk about. Integrity, integrity, or integrity today. And I chose the the last of the three. It was like their choice for speaker this morning. Rob had a tough job. They originally decided to go after the man that they believed could speak most eloquently on the subject of integrity and he turned them down and the second guy they contacted was the guy who they felt you've heard this one forget it (laughs) whoever's editing the tape Zahn said he wanted a tape just cut this front part off I'm gonna get down to business let me tell you with absolute seriousness that I covet the opportunity that you all have now I don't mean the opportunity to be in this chapel today to hear me But I've just gotten a walking tour of this campus, and I want to tell you that I that I am envious of each of you men and women who are in the midst of an experience on this campus. Uh, Standing in front of you is a demonstration of the fact that nearly anybody could end up your chapel speaker. At age 17, I was on my way to college when I got diverted into a business career, and I spent 15 years there, and did okay. But there's always been a uh, a latent desire to get back into a situation like you're in the middle of. And one of these days when I have a year when I don't have anything else I have to do, you might find me infiltrating a student body like this just to get a little bit of what you all are in the midst of. I am envious of your opportunity. But I want to tell you today that there is a, a screaming need among the men and women who make up the society that you're preparing to enter to see integrity demonstrated in a real way. I was having lunch just a few weeks ago with a friend of mine a lost man who I've had business relationships with for years a number of years. He at many points in my professional life had been known to call me to find out why it was that I was doing things that he knew about that were so different than the practices of men that he knew in industry who given the same set of circumstances would have done something very differently. It's not relevant to bore you with what those were so much as to say that that relationship over years precipitated an opportunity to share lunch with him very recently. And during that lunch He was sharing with me because he knows full well that I'm a Christian and we've had many opportunities to discuss that and the gospel. We've had him to a number of uh, formal opportunities to hear the faith of relevant and uh, peer level men in industry. But he's never made a decision for Christ. He was sharing with me about some business problems that he's had of late where he's been involved in dealings with men who are vocal about the fact that they're Christians in business. He was sharing with me that his experience with them had yet again convinced him that the the Christian faith had nothing that he really needed. Because he was sharing with me that his relationship with those men had drawn him into seeing a lifestyle in them that he knew was not as good as his. And because of that he was rejecting the Christian Gospel. I shared with him that day the fact that our problem today is that where there should be two kinds of people on planet earth, there are four. And the confusion exists because of that proliferation. I said, Preston, if we could live in that ideal society where lost people live like lost people and saved people live like saved people, we'd be in good shape. But there are two confusing groups that have crept in and have really muddied the waters. There's one group of lost people who have managed to begin to live and look a lot like saved people should live and look like, at least on the outside. This man is one of those. He has a very high standard in his life. We might even say that he begins to approach integrity in his business dealings. I said, that in itself isn't so bad, it becomes most confusing when that fourth group comes along and that is saved people, who live for all the world like they're lost. I told him the problem really is when group three and group four encounter one another, because those lost people who live like saved people are supposed to live, Begin to look at the saved people who live like the lost people are supposed to live, and they say, If my lifestyle's better than theirs, why do I need this faith garbage that they're trying to unload on me? I said, You know, at times I wish the other guys would get their act cleaned up and you'd live a little more dirty so we could get a little cleaner line drawn and we could be drawn into a situation where you would see the relevance of the gospel. I would. Submit to you today that integrity is not a part of the Christian life Integrity is the Christian life That there is no facet of Christian living that is called integrity that Christian living is by its definition integrity We have entered a time frame in the Christian community where we've begun to believe that God's awareness of our humanity has sometimes lowered his expectations in terms of what he's going to see people doing in their lives in the Christian faith it is almost as if peter was out of school when he recounted god's expectations you remember those be holy because i the lord your god am holy It's interesting when you trace that concept of integrity through the scriptures, the idea of blamelessness, of completeness, of perfection, of accomplishment with regard to Christian maturity, begins to come into focus in a way that is lost to many people who purport to be living the Christian lives. You know, our problem today is not many people are seeing something that they're interested in trading their lives for. Have you seen that? Have you heard that expressed by those people that you've tried to share the gospel with who've already met some Christians, thank you, and they're not real interested in being just like them? It's not a new issue. If you have your Bible with you, you might turn back to Psalm chapter 26. The issue of integrity was high on the list of important issues for David. David was a man who, for much of his life, walked in integrity. I would like to suggest to you a simple four facet description of David's concept of integrity. I don't want to strain it from the text, I think it's there pretty clearly. If I get it, you can sure get it. Would you read with me the first seven verses? Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart, for thy loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence. And I will go about thine altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all of thy wonders. Drop down to verse 11. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place. In the congregations, I shall bless the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? God, we want to uh, we want to fellowship around your word this morning in a very special way. God, we believe this book to be the communication that is absolutely timeless and because of that is very timely that it is your message for us today and I don't believe for a minute that this is an accident that this subject is before this body of men and women today I don't believe for a moment that this is a random selection I believe that you want to talk to us today about this subject of integrity and God I pray that this morning the real teaching would go on between your spirit and ours. I pray that that which would be remembered from our time together would be that which you instruct us about. Help us, God, to see the insights of your word as they apply to us and our lives. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Could I suggest to you four things that characterize the man or woman of integrity today as David saw it? First, let me tell you that if you're not a person of integrity, don't pray David's prayer. It's dangerous. Don't try and pull any fast ones on God. There are a lot of people walking around talking about integrity who don't have the least amount of opportunity from God's perspective to say one word about it. I come with real trepidation to this platform having been introduced as the right man to discuss it because I know my heart and I know that I had to go through the spiritual car wash on the way here this morning to even feel good about taking advantage of the opportunity. I covet the opportunity someday to get closer to the standard of perfection that God has for your life and for my life. And I'm committed to doing that, but it is not without failure that I make that process real in my life. Don't believe for a moment that integrity, despite that, don't, don't believe for a moment that it's an elusive, impossible standard. Because God would expect nothing of us that we can't accomplish in Him. I believe that we live in a day where the idea that we can't measure up, so therefore we better not try, ought to be scrapped. Because I continue to read a passage in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, that says, Be imitators of me as I am of Jesus Christ. And I wonder if it's any different today, God's expectations of people who are to stand as the model of the living son of God among men and women today. Jesus said in Luke six forty, every student when he's fully trained will be just like his teacher. And if God is your teacher today, if it's his goal through the curriculum of the word of God to bring you into conformance with the life and the mindset of his son, if that's what he wants, then as your training becomes complete, it is God's expectation that you are becoming more and more like the perfect picture of integrity that's found in the person of Jesus Christ and I don't believe that most of the things that we find before us in the Christian faith in the Christian walk are terribly difficult in terms of their description the difficulty comes about in terms of putting that into practice I think there's a simple formula that David prescribes and you'll spend the rest of your life doing the kind of job God would have you do about it and the first thing I think I see is in the first couple of verses, when I learn about David, that the man of integrity trusts God implicitly. There is an implicit trust in the God of heaven. Listen again to the words of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity and I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Let me ask you a very personal question this morning. As you look back over the days that have passed since you arrived on this campus to begin this semester, could you say with conviction, with clarity of mind today, as you look toward God that every day on this campus of this semester, that you have trusted in God without wavering? That there hasn't been a minute where you have slipped from your focal point where God has been taken off the throne of power in your life? Has there been a moment or two where you've had a blush of uncertainty about life, about where you are, about what you're doing, about what the future holds? Have you had some moments where you're unsettled about anything in your life? I am convinced that God does not expect us to be going through life with the black cloud of uncertainty over our heads but rather the shining light of trust in a God who loved you so much that he's already done everything that it that it requires in his justice system to get you there and if he's already made the major payment all of the little things that go on between now and the day we realize the full benefit of what Jesus Christ came and showed love and died for If that's what we're headed for, God's prepared to do everything that is required from here to there to see to it that the process is completed. Do you know that most of us need to develop our trust in God as the beginning point in this whole process? Now let me tell you how I can find out how much you trust God. Now it's, it's one thing to speak in the ethereal in that which we just have mental pictures of, we, we could get around today and say, Well, you know, if if Rob gets out here with his uh, yellow baseball and says, Do you trust God? Well, you know, who can tell? Of course you're going to say yes. That's what the guy sitting next to you who was listening when he said what he was going to ask you is going to whisper in your ear. Say yes. Do you trust God? You bet I do. If I didn't trust God, I wouldn't have come to this school. <laughs> no, no, no. Do you trust God? Man, I'm sure I do. My mom said I did when I was two. Do you trust God? Yeah, pretty much, but finals aren't for a while. (laughs) Do you know how I can tell how much you trust God? I can tell how much you trust God by finding out how much you trust His Word. Because I don't believe there's any separation between the veracity of the God of heaven and the veracity of His Word today. You know, that's where I begin to get a real clear picture about how much this trust is worth that I keep talking about in my life. If I have an unwavering faith in God, I will inevitably have an unwavering faith in His Word. Would an objective look into your life come to the conclusion today that you are a person who has placed your unwavering trust in the God of heaven and in His Word, which we believe to be an errant, infallible, inspired And the standard every time it speaks about the affairs of my life. You see, if if I'm responding to God's word with unwavering trust, I believe I can say with substance that I am responding to the God of heaven with unwavering trust. If I'm shaken as far as the word and its authority in my life, who am I kidding to say I trust God? There's a second thing I believe David had to say here, and it is a natural outgrowth of the first. It's found in verse 3. David said, For thy loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. There are two essential things that I'm going to find effective in my life because of the Bible. Two major things the Bible does for me in a very practical sense. The first is, it tells me about God. David said, your loving kindness is ever before me. How much do you know about God without his word? Well, of course, the psalmist tells us that the heavens are declaring his glory. The earth displays his handiwork. Sometimes when we drive under that smog blanket that we live in, we don't see that story told very clearly. Sometimes when we're looking at the uh, products of men rather than the products of God's creation, we begin to wonder if God really did a good job on this place. But you know, I don't have to wonder at all when the crisp focus of the Word of God and its story of the God of heaven trying to explain to me in human terms that which is inexplicable. Can you imagine trying to portray the drama that Isaiah saw the day that he saw the Lord God of heaven? Would you have wanted to trade places with Daniel who was trying to recount what he saw before he hit the dust face down? When he saw that image of the living Lord Jesus? How would you have recorded what John recorded when he saw that one walking among the candlesticks? Can you dispute Ezekiel's description of all of those uh, wheels? You almost get the picture of a small world, everything spinning. How would you have described it? Listen, the best description you're going to get of the God who loves you, who made you, who died for you, is in this book. David says, Your loving kindness is always before me, and it drives me to do a second thing. I've walked in your truth. Are you reminded of Psalms 1? How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful, is delights in the law of the Lord. And in that law he meditates day and night. Why does God want you to meditate in it? He told Joshua that you'd meditate in it day and night, that you mayest observe to do all that is commanded therein. God's expectation is that you dwell in it, you meditate on it, and then you do it. And David said, that's happening in my life. As I get to know the God whose loving kindness is ever before me, His truth becomes my life pursuit. I walk in it. Not all Christians are walking in it today. The second thing I learn about this man of integrity is he obeys God constantly. Constantly. As a Christian today, there are only three camps you can find yourself in with regard to that issue. Dispute it, if you'd like, afterwards. But I believe that it fits. Three camps, which one are you in? The first one is the person who is ignorant of God's laws, God's truth, and is therefore violating it daily. There are Christians like that. I meet lots of them. Happily going through life, violating God's commands left and right, never knowing what they were in the first place. They are are trespassing God's laws. You understand the idea of trespass? Gee, I didn't know the speed limit was 35 here, officer. And of course, that's the point where he closes his ticket book and says, Oh, well, hey, hey, if you didn't know, that's all right. No problem. We'll let you go. No. You get the ticket anyway, but you could honestly say sometimes, I didn't know it was really a 35-mile limit. The idea of trespass. Do you know how many Christians are living their lives today wondering where God went who are living a life that can be only characterized as trespass because they've never taken the time to find out what those truths were? Let me tell you something. If you don't know what God's ways are, you will never follow them. There are so many Christians who think that because they got some kind of uh, sufficient dose of the Holy Spirit that time in the Word is not important anymore because the Spirit will tell them where to go. Well, I'd like to tell them where to go. I'd like them to, to go to the Bible because the Spirit has nothing to tell me until I've put the Word of God in there for Him to use on me. Do you know that? Do you find conviction apart from the Word of God? The agent of conviction, the Holy Spirit of God, has to have the Word there to work with. And that's your job and mine, to put it there. There are Christians who are in trespass today. They're ignorant of the Word and they're not doing it. There's a second group. They are the Christians who are aware of the Word and are not doing it. That's a group called sinners and they still exist in the Christian community. Christians who are in sin. Have you ever met one? Did you see one in the mirror when you woke up this morning? Christians in sin, you know the difference between sin and trespass James four seventeen, to the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it To him that's sin. There are Christians today who are living in sin informed, but not doing it. There's a third group It is the Christians who are informed and are doing it and that's the group. God wants you to be in Now, there's something that we need to do to make sure that we're at least in groups two or three. And that is to commit to get into and to meditate on the book, the truth of God. I will tell you that it does not guarantee that you will have a life free from error, but you cannot have a life free from error unless you do it. I'm counseling right now with a businessman who, uh, under the tutelage of a fella in the Christian community a few years ago, who advocated some tremendous memory systems. Maybe some of the gray heads in the audience will remember the whole the Lucas approach. This guy memorized at least five books of the New Testament. And I'm not talking Jude and 3 John. <laughs> this man memorized at least five books of the New Testament. One of the Gospels was among them. Can you imagine that a guy in that situation would be a victim of alcoholism today? Could you imagine that a guy like that would have a wife who just left him? Can you imagine that a guy that has incorporated the word of God into his life in that way could be struggling with lust in his life to the extent that he has succumbed to it? Man, some of us don't like to think about that. You can't get into the word like that and still sin, can you? Answer, yes. But let me tell you, you will not avoid sin in your life unless you've gotten into the Word of God. Which of the three groups would you put yourself in today? Uninformed and blowing it, informed and blowing it, informed and obedient. David put himself in the third group. Here's a third characteristic about David. It's in verses 4 and 5, I don't sit with deceitful men. You almost hear David uh, expressing his seating preference when he comes into chapel. (laughs) Somebody says, where do you want to sit, Dave? And he said, listen, I don't sit with deceitful men, and I'm not going to go up there with the pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. (laughs) Well, I guess he could always sit by himself. Do you know what David said here? Some would interpret David's words to say if they're not a spirit-filled, obedient, growing Christian, I don't want to spend a minute with them. And extrapolate that to say that we'll rely on Christian radio to get the word out to those dirty, filthy people that we don't want to have any part with. Paul knew that that was going to be the temptation You know, the phenomenon of 20th century Christianity is we'd rather fellowship with Christians in sin than we would with sinners who need Christ. That is a really amazing thing. Paul knew that. He said in 1 Corinthians 5, hey guys, (laughs) loosely paraphrased, hey guys, you don't understand. The guy you're not supposed to spend time with is the Christian who knows better and is not doing it. The folks I want you to spend time with are the folks who don't know better so that they will. But don't slip into the idea that I want you with people who don't know better and who are going to influence your lives because you're not there for a positive offensive move. You are there unable to defend yourself. How many of you used the argument at home before you went away to college? Uh, Gee, mom, dad, don't you trust me. I know that you don't like my friends, and I know they do things that I don't do, but golly, mom, don't you trust me? Don't you know I wouldn't do what they do? And mom said, no way, Jose. (laughs) I do not trust you. Do you know what she was saying? Mom may not have known the verse, but she knew the principle expressed by Paul. In fact, it wasn't new to the Bible. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 15.33, he picked up a line used by Greek poets in a play of his day. It says this, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You know, you don't have to question the morals of a person to be worried about their demise in the company of evil people. You can have great morals, and headed into deep sin. Because the atrophy of the spiritual life will allow people who are in the company of evil people for the wrong reason to sink to the lowest common denominator. May I share with you today that David's point here was that he was not going to spend time with evil people for the purpose of emulating them. Friend do not consider withdrawing yourself from needy people consider withdrawing yourself from the company of people who will affect your morals How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of ungodly people or sit in the way of uh, Stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scornful Don't hang around with people for the purpose of being influenced by them don't go to be influenced but if you're there be an influence David said I'm not influenced the characteristic of the man of integrity he avoids sinners consciously there is a resolute nature to his determination that says I will not be influenced by that which can pull me down may I tell you that you will be learning the balance of time with people who do not agree with your position relative to God or his desires and demands for your life you will be living that tension the rest of your life some Christians take the approach of saying the easiest way to fix it is just not ever be with a lost person we put on a lot of outreach events, mealtime outreach, we find a lot of people are more susceptible to the gospel in a neutral territory like a hotel banquet room hearing a testimony from a person that they can identify with then they might be in a setting that is religious in look and has a real spiritual overtone in terms of where it's held and how it's conducted well the nature of doing things at a hotel instead of the fellowship hall of course is that you got to make guarantees <laughs> they want to know they're going to make a little dough off the deal so you always have to call ahead of time tell them how many you're going to serve and feed and pay for and then you end up with the problem of getting chicken to go and uh, we were planning an event like that a few years ago and Uh, we ended up a little oversold we had a little fall off at the end and we had a bunch of tickets left over that we were gonna have to buy anyway and we just wanted to give them to some people so we called up some missionary types who live here you know stateside type deal they work in the home office we said we know that this probably isn't in your budget but we'd like to make it available to you free tickets elegant dinner nice hotel great speaker super music fantastic opportunity The only catch is we're going to give you four tickets. We want you and your wife to bring a lost couple with you to attend this event. I think one of the most eye-opening conversations I ever had in my life was the call I got back from that man a couple of days later. When he said, we're going to have to turn down the opportunity to go to the dinner. I said, what in the world for? He said, my wife and I don't know any lost people. I was tempted to call the mission board. Can you imagine a person giving their life to missions they don't know any lost people? That's like an insurance agent that only knows other insurance agents. Hey, listen, it's hard to feed your family with a program like that. Can you imagine being in Amway and the only people you know are the people who sell soap? (laughs) Bad deal. Can I tell you that David is not saying here to retract from society? He's saying to be there for change, not to be changed. How's your interaction with society today? If someone really knew about your life the way that God does, would their conclusion be that you are changed by society or that you are an influence for change in society? The difference between those two positions is all of the difference in the world. The man or woman of integrity makes a conscious decision to avoid sinners when the situation will be that of being changed rather than changing. Here's a fourth thing that David said. It's in verses 6 and 7. He is describing the process of worship for an Old Testament Jew. Listen to what he says. I'll wash my hands in innocence. I'll go about thine altar, O Lord, that I might proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all of thy wonders. David said that the man of integrity worships God sincerely. May I speak to myself as I address you? Much of my worship is a joke. How about you? Have you dropped your body off at a worship service a few times in your life? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Do you know that worship does not take place just because it's 930 on Sunday morning and the choir is in full regalia? Do you think God is scheduled in that way? You think just because they got the bulletins folded in time and the broke-down busses all got towed in? Just because the ushers are in place and the plates got filled, do you think worship is happening because of all of those little mechanical details? Is that worship? Have you had the experience of walking out of something that was proclaimed to be worship, where you're convinced that you may have met a lot of people that day but you didn't meet God? You know, we either have to determine that God was not there to be met, or we didn't meet him in the right way. He became unapproachable because of our approach. But he was there waiting for us to approach him with sincerity. How is it at your house when you get ready to go to church? I've got a wife and two daughters. We've got enough bathrooms, that's not the problem it's amazing the difference in people getting ready to go somewhere I'm the guy who knows that it takes 12.5 minutes to find a parking place and to get to the front door of the building that it takes about four and a half minutes to get from my house to the church parking lot so at the appropriate moment I'm in the garage with the engine very obviously running It is a tremendous preparation for worship. What goes on then? (laughs) The neighbors sometimes awaken to hear that muffled horn in the next guy's garage as the uh, second level of encouragement takes place that says, we're getting serious now, kiddos, in the car or else. Uh, We sometimes are contributory to the parking problem at our church because our family sometimes arrives on eight wheels. Because... Uh, Sometimes they're just too late, and I've got to get there for other things. Have you found yourself arriving with flustered, uh, really kind of unusual feelings? You've just pushed and shoved and clawed your way in. You did get a seat. Um, you're, You're ready now. Turn it on. Let's go for it. We're finally here. It's time to worship. And you go out flat. You know, I've come to the conclusion in my life that what goes on before worship is going to determine whether worship goes on. I am tired of going to church. I'll be real honest with you. I do it 52 plus times a year. And I'm tired of going to church and coming away not having kept the appointment that I thought I was going for. You know, I've begun to realize that God wants a whole lot out of what I've been calling worship. Than he's been getting. I found out Jesus was kind of warm to that idea. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you get to church... And during that moment where you might otherwise have been reading the bulletin when they start passing the plates, he said, The usher may be standing in the aisle, the plate may be coming your way. If the moment that plate comes your way, you remember that there is somebody that you've done something against, put your envelope back in your pocket. Don't believe for a moment that worship will take place between you and God. If there is hostility existent between you and somebody else. Jesus said the smartest thing you can do is get up and make your way out of that service. Find the person between whom there is conflict. You to them right now. Get it settled before you get back. Come in clean or don't come. Now don't walk out of here saying, Hey, the guy in chapel said we don't have to go to church. No. No the guy in chapel said do you really worship or is there a shell there that looks a lot like yours where there is nothing no transaction that goes on spiritually whatsoever we have churches full of actors every Sunday morning are you one of the real products Or are you going through the ritual of worship? David said, there is no ritual here. I come in and wash my hands with innocence. I come because I want to go around your altar and proclaim with a voice of thanksgiving. I want to declare your wonders, God. This is for real. Is it for real for you? Let me ask you this. If you had tickets for the playoffs... Is meeting God more important for you than finding your seat? Is the attraction of meeting the sovereign God of the universe in worship greater than any other attraction in your life? See, I would submit to you that until that is true, you have not experienced worship. We can talk about integrity all week long. But until we have an attitude that says that we are trusting God implicitly, that we're obeying His word constantly, that we're avoiding sinners consciously, and that we're worshiping God sincerely, we're still at the talking stage. I don't believe that integrity is difficult to know. I don't think it's a facet of the Christian life. I think it's what God expects day by day. Are you there? Have you been living with regard to integrity? Not knowing and therefore not knowing and choosing not to or knowing and doing? Only three choices. Where are you? Father, I pray today that we would leave here informed people.